so what we're doing here is making this land better than it was before we got here. So the accountant side of me is on one shoulder and that is on the other shoulder. But we can try to find a happy medium in between and that's what we kind of have to do. <laughs> Welcome to the 287th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Joe Lawler is an accountant by trade who also farms, so he thinks a lot about something called opportunity cost. Opportunity cost is, in short, what one gives up when choosing one alternative over another. And the concept is discussed a lot when people are considering financial planning and risk-taking. Some would say that adopting a regenerative farming practice comes at the cost of maximum production and maximum profits, at least in the short term. But Joe's passion is farming in a way that leaves the land better for future generations. So he's constantly looking for ways to strike a balance between a healthy landscape and a healthy bottom line. During a recent LSP Soil Health Field Day being held on his family's farm near Rochester in southeastern Minnesota, the young farmer showed off a perfect example of that balance being struck. It was in the form of a 40-acre patch of prime pollinator habitat growing between stands of corn and soybeans. This was part of a program Joe enrolled in through the USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service. Through the initiative, he was given an annual payment for two years to grow a mix of plant species that benefit bees and other pollinators. This diverse planting isn't just good for bugs. It's also providing something for the farmer, healthier soil. And that's where the practical side shoulders in for Joe. The two-year contract expired in 2022. So during the spring of 2023, he'll be able to plant the field to a crop of corn that will be eligible to be certified organic. Joe calls using a program like this a game changer, given that transitioning to organic can come with a lot of overhead expenses. The Lawler Farm is full of these kinds of calculations involving profitability and environmental sustainability. Part of the reason is that Joe, along with his father Steve and Uncle Tim, are farming in the Silver Creek watershed, and any runoff from that area impacts drinking water quality in Rochester. Keeping water cycling on their 600 acres and not running downstream is very important to the Lawlers. That's why they utilize methods that build soil health as much as possible, such as no-till, cover cropping, and rotational grazing of beef cattle. The Lawlers have also devoted 30 acres to long-term University of Minnesota research. During the LSP field day, U of M researchers provided tours of plots devoted to studying cover crop seeding rates and termination methods, as well as corn silage production and small grains. An extensive nitrate study, which has significant water quality implications, has also been done on the farm. After the field day, I talked to Joe about how programs like the Pollinator Habitat Initiative are helping him establish regenerative farming practices in a financially viable way. The farmer started out describing how that 40 acres of bee-friendly plants hasn't just been good for his soil and long-term management of the farm. It's also just plain fun to hike through. So, Joe, we just had a great field day here where we saw some of the things that you've been, uh, you and your family have been working on with some soil health. And one of the things that I think got caught a lot of people's interest was a 40-acre field, I believe, that you're doing pollinator habitat in there, but it's got a little bit of a twist. It's not just something that's being set aside for several years in pollinator habitat. You're using it as a transition into organics, um, and it seems like it's been a really good fit for you, like I said, transitioning into organic as well as getting livestock back on the land a little bit. 
So the program, um, I wish I would have known about it sooner um, on, on one of the previous fields that I had transitioned, but the program uh, is providing habitat for honeybees or beneficial insects, and it's through the NRCS. We didn't know about this. Uh, Mike Muzzy, who I work directly with quite often through uh, Olmsted County NRCS, found this program. And what it does, it, you go on a few, you can do multiple year contracts, one, two, or three year contracts. And um, there's a, a funding per acre to plant. The mix that I have is a little different. We were able to, to change it because I did not want yellow mustard, which was in the the regular mix. I didn't want it in there going into organic. So we changed it up. The, the mix is a buckwheat, sunflower, red clover, dwarf Essex rape. I added Dacon radish, phacelia, and uh, multiple clovers. Uh, and that's the mix, which is absolutely beautiful and perfect for, um, you know, building soil, um, sequestering carbon, uh, building some nitrogen with the clovers and providing just wonderful habitat for bees and wildlife. It is just blooming with bees and it's just pheasants, deer. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, it really sets it apart. This mix is sets, you know, itself apart amongst your mixes for CRP and um, any of the other programs that take multiple years, especially prairie grass, to establish. We can establish this in five, six weeks. Uh -huh. It's incredible. Yeah, you were mentioning you feel like in six weeks you can provide as good a pollinator habitat as maybe, you know, something that's been set aside for a couple years. A absolutely. Um, and I really would like to be using this mix in my rotation every six, seven years because of what it does bring, uh, you know, for wildlife and what it, it, the habitat that I can provide and the soil that I can build, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's absolutely unreal. And I really like to have more people see this firsthand and the life that this can bring with, you know, there's some annuals, but there's also the perennial clover in there, but just having these really quick growing root building plants. Well, you were mentioning that you, as part of the getting the as part of the program, you have to go out and I think do some monitoring. Describe yes. that a little bit, what you have to do and kind of what you've been seeing. I'm supposed to go, and I do, I go out and um, monitor um, and count bees. I have to walk, depending on how large the field is, you have to set up so many transects. Um, and in 10 minutes, you walk and count bees and what species, plants that those bees are on. The um, NRCS is using that data obviously, um, for this program and, and to, to see what effect we are having um, for providing it, you know, habitat. And they, they also provide how many um, hives are out there, um, quite a few things. And, and with that, we also uh, take down optional information um, about other species of bees that we are seeing out there along with um, predatory insects um, and whatnot. It's amazing. So in part of the field day, we had Ryan Miller from U of M talk about uh, there was uh, an aphid uh, study that they had right next to my honeybee habitat. And uh, it didn't go so well for them this year because uh, they didn't have any aphids. <laughs> well, I, it's because they had this mix right next to him with all these predatory insects. So uh, we're probably going to have to relocate that next year. So yeah. we're providing great habitat for these aphid-eaten insects. Oh, that's an excellent indicator. So describe a little bit. So you 
um, I think you'd said you, you've done this now two years. You, you did your first planting, was it last year? Last year, yeah. yeah. So describe that, and, and it's a two-year pro. You're kind of doing it. This You're going to wrap it up this year and what yes. you're going to be doing with it and all. So the the first year, um, and I, th- I believe with the program, we're supposed to have it seeded by June 15th. So last year, um, we were coming out of, I think it was conventional corn, and came and we prepared the soil, which there was cover crops growing at the time, um, and seeded with our, our drill on June uh, June 12th, I believe, last year. This year, we did it a little differently. Um, since buckwheat is in the mix, buckwheat is a very proficient seed, so I talked um, the NRCS into let me take buckwheat out of the mix because we already had plenty from the year before. So we came in and no-tilled with a little different mix without buckwheat. We added phacelia. Um, I also added a different balanza clover to the mix. So, But we no-tilled it this year no-tilled it and this is the second year which would be the and I had a two-year contract so I really didn't want to I didn't want to do any tillage because that biannual red clover I did not want to destroy it um, this is this is its year to really produce for me to help the soil out and to build that little bit of organic and the I shouldn't say a little bit quite a bit of organic and it's going to provide me next year we did have some being we didn't have any early tillage you know with delayed planting like in June which was last year when you put that seed in the ground in June you usually flushed most of the early annual weeds out so last year we hardly had any weeds you know early June planting is just we use that in organic as well for all for the row crops so but this year since we didn't have that we came in and we no-tilled we already had established weeds that we didn't you know so we did have to mow which hurt my feelings quite a bit because the sunflowers that this mix uh, makes oh. just absolutely beautiful yeah. so we weren't able to have those this year we had a few but i've tried to mow around as many as i could yeah. <laughs> well so and as we said this is kind of part of your it's a two two things that this is helping you with well three things really is building that long-term soil health but also transitioning into organic and it sounds like you're what's your future plans for this i guess both this fall and then next year so uh we're going to graze it this fall and I did get an okay to do that since the bees are gone. Graze it this fall. Next spring, you know, I'd love to throw the cattle out there again, but we'll see how, yeah. you know, we're getting into calving season, so there's a lot going on. <laughs> um, but uh, next year, uh, it's either mow it right away, you know, mow it before tillage. If it's not too tall, which I'm, that clover's really going to take off in the spring. But we're probably going to have to mow with the stock chopper, come in and do very shallow incorporated tillage with our John Deere mulch master. I'm probably going to do that late May. And by the first, the end of the first week in June, we'll be putting organic corn in. So we should, this mix is really going to um, mineralize pretty quickly, I'm assuming, and provide a lot of nutrients for that corn. Yeah. Well, this is a, I, this is a really, I think, a great way to get like do that transition into organic but get some short-term economic benefit out of it it sounds absolutely. like absolutely uh there's two different payouts i believe for this uh that i still qualify as a beginning farmer so i you know my pay for this is is a little bit more than normal but yes you're right it's beautiful it's a beautiful program to transition um to organic the thing you know we're, we're not trying to to garner a profit in these few years i just want to help pay some of the expenses because there it is um you know there's a lot of uh 
overhead. There's a lot of other things that going go into this transition to organic, and um, just to have this program is it's really a game changer in so many ways. Mm. I'm in the low. I think the payment for for me I think is the low 300s. I I want to say I don't want to. It's about 330 dollars an acre. Um, seed seed cost. You know, you're talking about you're close to you know. High 50, 60, 60 dollars an acre, mm-hmm. and the, it, it, you are seed, you know you're seeding two years, but the payment you know is annual. Yeah. One of the other things that we looked at was you're doing quite a bit of work with interseeding of cover crops, yes. and you've modified a high boy, and I think you've done some. You, like you said, you call it a little bit of a Frankenstein machine. But for people who might not be familiar, describe what the, a high boy is or what this was used for before, and maybe. You sounds like you were able to kind of you got some advice that maybe certain things wouldn't work, but you were able to get yeah. some of this work. So describe what you've done with this piece of equipment, and then how you are, what what how you're using it to intercede cover crops. And we saw we you got a really good take on some corn there yes. uh, uh, this year. You got right to when it was raining and and got a good rye cover crop. I think you planted it something like September seventh or something like that and here we are october one and it looked really good yeah i, I was told quite a few things weren't going to work on, on this <laughs> i'm quite i guess it's the stubborn side of me to prove those wrong right. so i think it was the fall of 2018 i had the idea that you know well we started off by wanting first off to do interseed interseeding our cover crops in um in standing corn or actually we were looking at doing corn you know before v4 v5 and i actually i went out and bought a tie drill thinking i'm going to take rows out and make it work and i just it didn't really materialize and so in the fall i thought well heck i can build one of these high boy interceders i've seen a few that were made at the time in 18 there was a gentleman uh, gentleman uh, charles martin out in pennsylvania that had built one and a few others, and well, I thought, well, heck, I could do that. So, went on the computer and started doing some Google image search, and then, you know, came across a gentleman who sells. Uh, he sold Pioneer detasseling machines made by Pioneer. He was out of uh, out of Canada, and uh, yeah, I just pulled the trigger, had one shipped down here, and I guess the project began. And I don't know if it's even ended yet. Um, <laughs> We just keep modifying the machine. Uh, we're we're to the point now. Um, you know, our bottleneck at one time was you know pushing seed out at that at, at a high rate, especially winter rye, which is uh, a very dense seed and requires at a broadcasted rates that are quite high, which you know we're at around 120 pounds. So we had some trouble, but um, you know I was told no again, and we made it work. We were able to add a we have an, a two air seeders or so two air fans on our machine mm-hmm. uh, that are powered by a Honda engine um, to, to power uh, we had, it's a Valmar air seeder um, in with a 60 foot boom and we're able to run close to two pounds a second out of it with the rye which is quite incredible um, to throw that much seed out but so we, we run about six and a half seven miles an hour in our standing corn we come in uh, early September. I would like to go sooner, but we kind of have to time time it with rains and, and throw our, our cereal rye right over the top of our corn. Uh, we also use it um, for our soybeans, which we, we built, I built some, uh, some row dividers to go in front of our, our wheels so that we were able to divide the rows when we, we drive, but we drive right when the beans are starting to turn yellow to drop a smaller seeded 
crops like winter camelina, um, throw a little dwarf Essex rape, or uh, we do like putting some annual ryegrass in as well. We try to cut our rye cycle. We don't want to plant it every year, but yeah, so we, we use it in multiple crops. We also use it in the in the spring to do uh, frost seeding of clovers. Uh, works works really nice for that. When you do it with the corn, do you have tubes that drop down into the row, or, how do, or is it no. just dropping right on there? I, so I, there were some studies that were done. One particular was from uh, University of Iowa that they studied the difference between drop tubes versus just broadcast over the top and there really wasn't any statistical difference in biomass um, with the two approaches so I, I you know I've been throwing around the idea but I really do not think that there's much of a difference mm-hmm. tube versus not tube and unless I'm proven otherwise we're going to keep throwing it down yeah. that, that way. How long have you been using this system? The first I the first year would have been 2019 we were able to use it we had decent luck and that's when we started fi- finding you know ways to modify it and like i said it's just it's, it's a work it's always a work in progress yeah, yeah. well it's really cool and, and i think um that's the big issue in minnesota with cover cropping is that timing people have had real mixed results waiting until after harvest mm-hmm. but you can get a jump on it you know september can be a time when maybe you're not super busy because you aren't yes. starting to harvest yet. So it sounds like maybe it can work timing-wise to get it in there. Absolutely. And, and, and that's why we went this route, you know, with, with our climate. We, we just don't have the time to get that cover crop established if we wait after harvest. Mm-hmm. So if we can get it in, you know, a month or so or more before harvest, I mean, usually, usually well, I shouldn't say, I'm really hoping to have at least... 10 to 12 inches of growth on my ride before that combine goes by mm-hmm. and it's it's actually quite a quite a sight the combine operator <laughs> the first year was <laughs> really scratching his head thinking that we had a weed problem but no it it it's green take yeah. it off she's green yeah. uh, and then do you plant green in the spring yes yes we do plant green um we will come through, uh, we use a no-till drill, we'll come and plant right through it. And we are still working on, you know, on the, this conventional side of, of spray dates. But usually we, we will come in and, and plant and then maybe spray right before the beans are, are coming through. Uh, going back a little bit to integrating livestock into this system, mm-hmm. because that's one of the ways that you're making cover crops pay in the short term mm-hmm. while you're building that soil health is, is hopefully is grazing. And, yes. and, and maybe taking cover crops off for forage, that kind of thing. But one of the ways you wouldn't be able to do that if this was like many farm, crop farms in the area, fencing was removed. I don't know when, but fencing right. was removed from this. So that's a big issue because then for people who want to bring livestock back, you know, right. you don't have fencing. But you've you've been able to take advantage of a particular program to get fencing on uh, just this year, I think. Yeah, we we took advantage of the water quality certification program um, through the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. If one decides to get certified through them, uh, there is uh, yearly a five thousand dollar grant for implementing water quality enhancements. And uh, I was I was talking um, to to an individual in that department today, and I guess I didn't realize I might have been the first one that I, I to convince them that cattle on the ground is a water quality uh-huh. issue. Through being a squeaky wheel, which I'm very good at doing, um, we were able to convince them that um, this should be part of that, that, that yearly grant. And we, my, my father and I both applied for this grant um, to do our uh, quarter section, his half and my half, and we were able to get um, close to three-quarter, about 75% um, 
cost share on it. So for those who are who say, hey, you know, we don't have any fields anymore, this is a very good opportunity, first off, to have them come in and to audit and look at look at your operation and uh, to see how you're doing with your water quality um, enhancements or what whatnot, do no-till cover crops. And um, first off, to do that, but secondly, to take advantage of these these grants that really can can bring your farm to the next level with your soil quality and bringing cattle back or livestock, whatever it is, back to the ground is is huge. It really it really brings life back to the soil to have that manure, to have that urine, to the, have that saliva from the cow eating. Uh, eating your covers uh, it it's one of those unseen benefits that really are hard to measure but yeah. it does make a difference yeah how many acres in total did were you able to get fenced through that we did uh, a whole quarter section uh, about 10 acres of it is not fenced but yeah we were it was over ended up being a little over close to two and a half miles actually yeah. so that's a major expense so to get that was you say 75 percent cost share on that yes absolutely 75 percent cost share wow. this i think can you explain just briefly what this for people who aren't familiar with that program what all your what you have to do to to kind of hold up your end of the bargain on this water program yeah to hold up your end of the you just need to show them that your practices are enhancing let's call it water quality or helping water quality you know be it no-till cover crops, uh, nutrient um, management through, you know, using University of Minnesota recommendations, nitrogen, phosphorus, whatnot, timing of your applications. You know, there's a lot of things that go into it. If you do qualify for this, I think you are exempt from certain new, new legislation like let's say buffer strips or whatnot that might become a requirement but you know you you would not have to participate in those or be held um to those standards well it's really good to see you utilizing a program in this area because this is a we should make it clear to folks if they're not familiar with this area you're in iota you're near rochester Mm -hmm. which is so this area is probably feeding into say rochester's drinking water system it's part of that water base watershed that would be feeding into so having something like this is it's a really key area to be having it geographically everything that we have all of our land slopes right towards the silver creek uh reservoir above rochester which all eventually goes right through rochester and the zumber river so uh, we do maintain very you know very large buffer strips amongst all uh, all of our fields and uh, we do we are not a farm that tiles often we have a few here and there anything that does come out of the you know tiles that do come out of the ground go through filter strips but yes no we we take what comes off the farm very seriously so water we would prefer it all to go into the soil instead of off the you know but uh you know and then that's how you know with these practices we were able to accomplish quite a bit of that your profession is you're an accountant Mm-hmm. And so I get the sense that you, when you're looking at some of these practices that you're doing, you there's maybe a difference between short-term investment and long-term investment, and that's something you're trying to balance with. The, the sounds like b- building soil health is a re- can be a real foundation for financially as well as yes. kind of in, in a way that makes the farm more, more resilient in a long-term, right. that, that you maybe 
I, I get the feeling that you're using some of your accounting skills to think about some of those things. Yeah, we do quite a bit of spreadsheets on this, but yeah, you know, my goal, you know, and the accountant side of me is if I'm going to do something, you know, we need to do it efficiently. And, you know, there is an opportunity cost of a lot of things that we may be missing out on. For instance, you know, doing the, the bee habitat, it's a year that, you know, we're just paying expenses, right? But in the long term, like you said, what we gain from that, you know, it more than makes up for it, you know, at least in a lot of my calculations but I also there's another part of it is is which is making more with less the the, the typical farm model today is is farm 6,000 acres and make five percent and you're doing great or make ten percent you're doing great um, that's not the model I want to go down you know I want to go down if, if doing very do, doing well with a smaller amount and uh, not only that is there's also another part of, of it that accounting shouldn't even be a part of it. But what we're doing here is spiritual in a lot of ways, which is something you can't put a number on, right, you know. Right. So what we're doing here is making this land better than it was before we got here. So the accountant side of me is on one shoulder, and that is on the other shoulder, we can try to find a happy medium in between, and that's what we kind of have to do. Part of this field day was we saw the U of M has been doing long-term experiments on, I think, about 30 acres yeah. here that's here. And so that must be interesting to see what they're doing and to maybe get ideas, but also maybe try to influence them a little bit on some of the things they should be looking at with soil health. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, and I'm very thrilled uh, that they are beginning to do some cover crop studies, which... You know, if we're going to be implementing cover crops in the future and farmers are going to start taking this practice up, we need institutions like the U of M and, you know, others to start pushing this research. So, yeah, it's it's very nice to have them in our backyard, or actually right in our yard, doing doing this work. You know, we try to do a lot of our own, you know, research on the cover crops because a lot of that wasn't there before. But now to have a partner with it, uh, Ryan Miller is is doing an excellent job with his, his grad program, you know, to get some of this information out there. And we're very, very grateful to have that. And uh, any information they can provide and I can provide to them from past experiences, because I know I have a lot of failures. I can probably, could probably help them out on a few things. Mm -hmm. So yeah. it's, it's, it's nice to have that relationship. For more on ways to build soil health profitably, Check out the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 287 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. <laughs>